Welcome to the Hillside Community Church Podcast. Wherever you're at in your faith, we hope this episode encourages you. If you enjoy the listen, let your friends know, and we'll catch you next time. I love this weather. You know what's really great about this morning? Is that I get to use the screen before Pete. <laughs> yes. I got something to throw at him when I see him. These past weeks we've been learning about, with Pete sharing at the podium and plus us at our small groups, we've been learning about this matter of the importance of community in the local church, which we are a part of. The church is the body of Christ, and Christ being the head, and we are members of his body. We have learned that this walk is not a solo walk. It's, uh, it takes all of us to be victorious in this life. We can't think that it's just us and God, that we're going to make it through. See, Christ is so multifaceted, so many attributes, there's so many things about the Lord Jesus Christ that we cannot hold this, him, in our body alone. It takes everyone having these gifts that Christ has given to us that we can make this healthy, this body healthy. It takes all of us to be functioning members in the body of Christ. We see that even in our small groups when we get together, everyone has something to share of what Christ has shown them over the week that they spent in prayer and in his presence and reading his word. In the fourth chapter of Ephesians, it says this matter that, you see, Christ has given us gifts. Every one of us, if you've come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, he has given you gifts. Not just, it may be a a gift, but it's a gift. He may give you multiple gifts. But know something about it. He says that he has given you grace according to the gift. See, each gift needs a certain amount of grace to do it. But he doesn't just throw you a gift and leave it to you to use it. He gives you the grace, the appropriate amount of grace that you can function in such a way that your gift will give life to the rest of the body. And I just want to read this first scripture to us today on the big screen. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up itself in love. Do you see what it says here? That from whom the whole body is being fitted together by what every joint supplies. Every one of us has this gift. Think of it as a building. We are this living building. And we are these stones, these living stones. But in between, usually you'll see on a house, there's the grout lines. The things that hold us together is the gift. And when we push out the gifts, it attaches ourselves to the other person in the body of Christ. And that's how it's built together. We need to push out that gift that Christ has given to us so that the body would be healthy. And then when the world sees the church, it doesn't see hypocrites, it sees life. So we need that. We need to be functioning members or the body will not be whole. I'm going to use an illustration. Most of everyone knows that I've been a paramedic for now 33 years. 
I just retired. Yes. I have a new boss. Her name is Lynetta. I was thinking about going back to work. Only kidding. But I want to talk about a call I went on. Um, Me and the guys get toned out on a call in the middle of the night. We go to this house where there is this man, a German man, who is visiting his family from Germany. And when we get there, he is laying on the floor. He is sopping wet. He is diaphoretic. We can't even keep the electrodes on his chest. He's complaining of substernal chest pain, shortness of breath. We could tell this cat's in trouble. And we need to start working. So everyone on the team that was with me, we started doing things. Who was putting them on the EKG? Who was starting an IV? Who was giving them morphine, oxygen, nitro, aspirin? Doing all these things to make this guy stay alive. So then we get to the point, we're going to put him in the truck and we're going to head to the hospital. As I'm putting the cot inside the ambulance, the monitor, the cardiac monitor is facing me and I see that he goes into ventricular fibrillation. That means the heart is just shaking. It's not pumping. I go in there right away. I grab the paddles and I shock him. And he says to me, he wakes up. His heart is beating again. And he says to me, I think I've fallen asleep. I didn't want to say anything that he was taking the big dirt nap. So now everyone's back in the work mode again. Who's hanging drips? Who's doing all this stuff to keep him alive? Because I don't want him to go into that rhythm again. We pull underneath the eve of the hospital and sure enough, he goes into V-fib again. Grab the paddle, shock him again. And he says to me the same thing. He says, I keep on falling asleep. And this time I told him, I said, sir, actually your heart had stopped. And you died. But we're going to bring you in the hospital now and they're going to relieve that blockage and, and you'll be okay. They brought him to the cath lab. This man ends up going to Germany back home with his family. You see, when everybody functions... On that scene, the outcome was life. It is the same thing with the church. The outcome is life when we function in the body of Christ. We need that. We need that life or we're going to be in trouble. It's not going to be the right thing for us to do. So, Me by myself on that scene, I could not have saved that man's life. It took everyone doing their job. This is the body of Christ. You know, there's communities everywhere. There's the Kiwanis Club and the Lions and all these clubs. But there's nothing like the body of Christ. He is the head and we are members of this body. This brings me to what I want to speak about today. What keeps us from functioning in the body of Christ? What distractions are in your life that keep you from doing what God would have you to do? I want to speak about one distraction, and it's the distraction of sin. It's not just any sin. You see, in order for this to work, I have to show us, me included, about the darkness before we can see the marvelous light. This sin I want to talk about today is not just any sin. That sin that me and you commit as we go through this life. There are times when we sin and we say, and we 
we just say, Lord, just forgive me, I'm sorry, and we repent, and God gives us the grace to repent, and we move on. It's not that sin. It's the sin that me and you hold on to. Unrepented sin. Why would we hold on to sin? Why would we not ask for forgiveness? Why would we not repent and turn away from that sin? I've been reading in the book of Jeremiah. I usually don't read it because I get depressed reading it because they call him the weeping prophet. But when I started reading this, God began to open my eyes, not about the sadness, but about the mercy of God. Jeremiah was not only a prophet, God's mouthpiece, but he was also a priest, and he intercedes for the children of Israel. And during this time, Josiah is the king. It's around 600, in the 600 BC time. And God speaks to Jeremiah to speak to the people. You see, the people began to follow the gods of the land, and they walked away because of their lustful desires. And now he comes and Jeremiah is going to speak. See, he's not wanting the children of Israel to suffer. So before God judges, he always gives us chances to repent. He comes and he shows his mercy, shows his love, and he wants us to repent before he has to use something else to change our minds, to keep us to repent. This idolatry God does not tolerate very well. It says in Exodus... The Lord's name is jealous, and he is a jealous God. He desires your love only, not to be separated with other things that cause you to want to follow them. We need to see that this sin that we hold on to is a thing that keeps us from walking in the light of who he is. Remember that God is the God who wants to give us life. And I want us to read this scripture in Jeremiah. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, to hew for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that do not hold water. You see, he is the fountain of life. This is springing up that he wants us to take and drink from this living water. But yet he says, you've forsaken that. And you've gone after other gods and you dig for yourself cisterns that don't hold water. So the water fills up from the rain or whatever and then it seeps out. It's never lasting. It never satisfies. But you think it's better and I think it's better when we hold on to that sin. He is the fountain of living water. He is the bread of life. Never satisfied with those things of the world. Matthew Henry, a a theologian, says this, the sin that you hold on to is a darling sin. Now, we don't use that word much anymore when we talk about someone who's my darling. But my wife, I love her and I I adore her and everything like that, but I don't call her darling. But the, the meaning of darling is a term of endearment. It means pleasing or gives pleasure. That is the sin I'm talking about. Now, you may think it's sacrilegious for me to say this right now, but sin is sweet. It's tasteful. It pleases. It gives you pleasure. But it lasts this much. We don't want to give it up. 
Do we have sin like that in our lives? Do you have a darling sin? What does this sin affect? You see, it doesn't just affect me and you personally. There's three things that I'm going to talk about that it affects. First of all, it affects the church. You say, it affects the church? Yeah, it affects the church. In 1 Corinthians, in the fifth chapter, Paul is writing to the Corinthians and he says, I know that there is a sin in your church that not even the heathens do, that there's a man who has his father's wife. And you guys in this church are tolerating this because you're saying, oh, we're kind, we don't want to offend. Paul later on says, do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? If that sin remains, it's going to spread. You know, before I became a paramedic, my family had a restaurant in Florida. Imagine an Italian New Yorker opening up a pizza place. Shocking, isn't it? We made everything from scratch. So when we made our dough, we made 48 pounds of dough at one time. It made 32 pizzas. You know how much yeast I put in there? Two ounces. It affected the whole 32 pizzas. All 48 pounds were affected by just two ounces. In the Old Testament... And in times of the church, when they used to make sourdough bread, before they cooked the last batch, they took a pinch of that dough and started the new batch. So little, so little of that dough, that yeast, I mean, will affect everything. Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump, just as you are, in fact, unleavened. For Christ, our Passover, has also been sacrificed. You know, at the time of the Old Testament, the Day of Atonement, when they would sacrifice the sacrificial lamb, right after they sacrificed the lamb, for seven days they ate unleavened bread. But why would he bring up Christ? Because year after year after year, they'd make the sacrifice and celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread. But when Christ was sacrificed... We are unleavened. We don't have to move out the old leaven. It is our, we're already unleavened because of Christ our Passover. Now we don't need to sin anymore. We have to see that. This darling sin keeps us from using our gift. Our members in this church will have to take up the slack as it were, when we don't function. When we don't function, listen, like a person who is having a stroke, when I go into the house and I have him grip my hands to find out which side of the body the stroke is on, when he has this weakness in this hand, this hand has to come over and put it on his chest because this hand is unable to do it. So the other hand has to help him or if it's your vision or whatever it is, the body suffers when this sin takes place. Even though your sin may be hidden, he sees. And the church is affected. Now I want to illustrate this by using just a short little thing about what happened in the Old Testament. 
You know when Joshua is going to come in and, and defeat Jericho, God says, you'll have victory, just go in there, but don't touch things under the ban. They go in and defeat Jericho. They defeat it. Next town they're going to go to, they send out spies, 3,000, that's all we need. We're going to go in there and annihilate them. It's a small little town. We're going to be able to go in and take it right away, just like that. They went in and they were defeated. 36 men lost their lives because of one hidden sin. Wives lost their husbands. Children lost their father because of one hidden sin. And Joshua tears his clothes. Why did you bring us across the Jordan? And know what God says? Hold on, Joshua. There's sin in the camp. There is no victory when you hold on to sin. And he gives them the opportunity to search it out. And Achan is found out. This man hid things in his tent under the ground. The only one who knew about it was Achan and his family. They bring them out. And everything that belonged to Achan, even the stuff he took under the ban, was burned with fire. It had to be eradicated. If the sin is not eradicated, what ends up happening? It will remain and fester and metastasize, as it were, into other parts of the body. God says, take care of this sin. Eradicate it. You know what happened? They went into Ai and destroyed them because the victory was because they were sinless in that aspect. Nothing was hidden. It also affects not just the church or family. Husbands and wives are not husbands and wives as they ought to be. They're not moms and dads as they ought to be because you are consumed with this thing that you're holding on to. It kind of, it captures your whole life, everything you're doing, trying to hide it or lying or whatever it may be. It affects who you are as a mom, a dad, a husband, or a wife. Before I read this next chapter in Isaiah, it says this. That they said, to, they were complaining to God, the children of Israel, and they said, you know, we fast and we pray and you don't answer us. How come you don't hear me? And this is what God says. Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save, nor is his ear so dull that he cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden um, his face from you so that he does not answer. Your sin, see, God is able to answer your prayers. He is able to do what is needed in your life. But your sin and my sin has made a separation between me and my God. And he's hidden his face that he does not answer. Sometimes we just say, God is merciful. He is so merciful and loving. It's true. But God is holy. He is righteous. He will not forfeit his righteousness and his holiness for the mercy. God has a perfect balance. His mercy and his righteousness live together in harmony. If you hold on to that sin, his mercy is not going to override his holiness. All he is wanting to do is for you to come back. Come back to him. 
This is God's heart. He wants fellowship once again. You are still saved, but there's broken fellowship. There's this wall between you and God that it it doesn't break through. Remember, he's the fountain of life and the bread of life. He who holds on to the sin, you know what we're saying? We don't need you. But how do we fix the problem? How do we fix this problem that we hold on to? If you return, O Israel, declares the Lord, then you should return to me. And if you will put away your detested things from my presence, I will not waver. When I first read this, his first lines, I said, that's redundant. It says, if you return, then return to me. Know what that means? You can't just stop your sin with intestinal fortitude. I'm not going to do it again. I'm not going to do it again. But if you do not return to him, you're going to do it again. See, when you turn away from your sin, you need to turn to the Lord. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. See, There's a void. When you stop doing this thing that gave you pleasure, there's a hole there. It has to be filled. If you do not return, look to the Lord, I guarantee that you're going to return to your sin. As it says in Proverbs 26, 11, as a dog returns to his vomit, so does a fool return to his folly. It's a given. How many times have you done the same sin over and over again? It's not that he doesn't forgive you, but he's saying you need to not just stop the sin, but you need to look to the Lord. When you walk by the Spirit, you will not carry out the deeds of the flesh. That sin needs to be eradicated. And here's this other aspect I want to talk about today. Now, some of these next verses are hard to hear, but we need to hear them. It's sobering. For thus says the Lord to the man of Judah and Jerusalem, break up your fallow ground and do not sow among the thorns. You see, when when we came to know Christ as our Savior, when you came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, he says he took away your heart of stone and gave you the heart of flesh. That is the field with which he gave you. He gave you a field. He let it out this field to you to see what he's going to get from that field in your life. What are you planting? What is going to be my produce that I'm going to get from this field? When you hold on to the sin and you neglect that field, your heart, it becomes hard. Rain doesn't penetrate it and neither does the seed the only thing that field will produce is weeds and thorns. And I'll explain that in a minute. Here is the solution to this dilemma. There's an order that has to take place. First, it says that. Break up the fallow ground. It's hard work. It's tedious work. Because if you try to pull the weeds and the thorns out, you'll be like me. I'm not an experienced gardener. Matter of fact, I got a black thumb, if anything. So when I go to grab a weed out, I try to get as close to the dirt as possible. I pull it up and it snaps. And that dang weed has a root that's still in the ground. 
And what happens? That weed just comes up in a couple of days. Just back there again. But this matter of breaking up the fallow ground, breaking it all up, is so important. You'll be able to eradicate that thing because now the weed and the thorn bush has nothing to hold on to. The ground is now broken apart and you're able to take it up with no problem at all. Before we do go on any further, I want to tell you this. He says for you and me, we break up the fallow ground. We don't ask God to do it. He's asking us to do it. Break up the fallow ground. You neglected the ground. Now break it up so you can get underneath where there's the soft soil. Under that hard shell is that rich soil that God initially gave to us that covers our heart. Listen to what it says here. Circumcise yourself to the Lord and remove the foreskin of your heart. What he is saying is that that flesh in you, that lustful flesh, gets in the way of what God is wanting to do. Cut it away. That's the circumcision of our heart. We pull away the flesh and we want to satisfy the Lord with what he has given to us. We break up that fallow ground. You circumcise your heart and remove that flesh. Then after you break up the ground, the roots have nothing to hold on to, like I said. Then the weeds and the thorn bush are able to pull out. And this is something great that God showed me. You know, once you break up the ground, the weeds come out. Guess what? Before, when you tried to take that thorn bush out, it's painful. You get stuck with the thorns. You get poked in the fingers. You know what's under the ground? No thorns. You get to see your sin for what it really is. And you're able to pull it out. And now the thorn bush and the weed is gone. You remember what I said before? It says, do not sow among the thorns. What does it say in Matthew's gospel when the seed was cast out? The ones that fell amongst the thorn, the thorns choked it out and was not able to have life. That's why you can't keep both at the same time. Once you take that out and the seed goes into that soil, 30, 60, 100 fold will be produced once they're out. John 15, 16 says this, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear much fruit. Here's what Matthew Henry says about this, about having the weeds and seeds sitting together. We cannot hold on to this darling sin and return to the Lord. Even as an adulterous spouse cannot hold on to their illicit lover, and continue to genuinely return to his marriage partner. You can't hold on to this and have this too. Having your cake and eat it too. It ain't going to work. But if we do not take care of this and listen to God's crying out to us today, there's something that will happen. And this is the difficult part of this sermon. It's dangerous It is dangerous to hold on to the sin. O Lord, this is the prophet speaking to him. Do you not, do your eyes do not look for the truth? You have smitten them 
but they did not weaken. You have consumed them, but they refused to take correction. They have made their faces harder than rock, and they refuse to repent. See, God begins to work on us and allow things to come in our lives, and in the end, we don't repent. And there's where the danger begins. And the rest I'm going to read instead of putting it on the screen. He doesn't want to afflict us. He wants for us to return to him. Listen to what he says here. Then I said, they are only the poor. They are foolish, for they do not know the way of the Lord or the ordinance of their God. But I will go to the great and I will speak to them, for they know the way of the Lord and the ordinances of their God. Listen to what it says here. But they too, with one accord, have broken the yoke and burst the bonds. Rich or poor, it doesn't matter. It all comes down to the point of knowing that you have broken the yoke. You are yoked to the Lord Jesus Christ and you break it apart and say, I can do this on my own. I don't need you to lead me anymore. Then you break the bond. There's a bond between you and the Lord Jesus Christ and you say, I can do this on my own. I don't need you. I want to satisfy my flesh. I want to do the things that make me feel good. I love it. I, am, I, have, I have pleasure with it and I'm sticking to it. Now listen to what it says here. And this is the hard part. So don't kick me out of the church after this one. Therefore, because you did not repent and you broke off the bonds and broke the yoke, therefore, a lion from the forest will slay them. A wolf in the desert will destroy them. And a leopard is watching the city for anyone that leaves the city. Did you see where they are? When you leave the celestial city, when you leave the church, when you leave to do your own thing, where is the lion and where is the wolf? In the desert where there's no sustenance and in the forest where you will be lost. And he says the leopard looks at the city and watches to see who is going to come out of that city so that he may devour him. That is what's the danger, holding on to the sin that keeps you from functioning in the body of Christ. We do not understand or realize the protection you have when you are abiding in him. When you abide in the Lord, what ends up happening is that he provides safety and security amongst the brothers and sisters in the church and about anything that happens in our life. He protects and watches over us when we stay with him. When you abide in the vine. But once we leave the celestial city and you turn your back on him and make your face like stone. There's danger out there. But here's the thing. The whole thing comes down to one thing. He wants to restore this relationship. That's behind it all. So when he sends these trials and allows the enemy to afflict us, it is to bring us back to him. That's what it's all about. Is because of his great love and mercy towards you. Restoration comes from the Lord. The breaking up the fallow ground first is your repentance. That is your repentance. You're breaking it up and say, I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm going to break up the fallow ground. I'm going to pull the weeds and I'm going to pull the thorns. Restoration begins. You ever see those shows on TV where they restore a house? The house was in ill repair, neglected. 
And these people come in and make, I mean, those people, the Gaines people, made a lot of money by fixing up those houses, right? But you know what the amazing thing about it is? When you go back to that house, they're surprised at what the house looks like. There's no more holes in the drywall. The pipes aren't leaking, and the roof doesn't leak. You don't even remember seeing that anymore because you are living now in the restorative work of the Lord. Not that we forget, but we don't see it anymore. Sometimes when we remember those things, it keeps us sober, that we don't want to do that again. Here is the Lord according to the book of Joel. You know, when I first came to the Lord, we used to sing a song, which I will not do. <laughs> that is not my gifting. But in Joel, in the second chapter, while I'm reading this, I'm going to have my granddaughter Ella and Mike come out, and they're going to sing a song, which we know. And before I read this, I'm going to tell you, when you, when you hear them singing that song, I want it a time for us to reflect. We know this was a heavy word, but I want you to understand that in this time of reflection, think about this. Do you have a darling in your life, a sin? So when this happens, what happens is that I want you to reflect. And if, as after they sang a few times a verse, if you want to join in, you can sing. And then after that, I will come back up and I'll close. But I want us to read the scripture. Listen to what it says here. In Joel in, uh, 2, 23 and 24. So rejoice, O sons of Zion, and be glad in the Lord your God, for he has given to you the early rain for your vindication. And he has poured down for you the rain, the early and the latter rain. Uh, the threshing floor will be full of grain, and the vats will overflow with new wine and oil, and he will restore all the years the locusts have eaten. Listen. What is an amazing thing here? God doesn't say, now that you've repented, we're going to start new. Know what God does? When you turned away from God and walked away from him, all the blessings, all the revelations, all the truth, all the joy that you were supposed to be given, but because of your sin you didn't and God held it back, he takes them and holds on to them and stores them up and holds them for you so that when you come to that, Back to him. He says he will restore the former and the latter reigns. He's bringing everything back that was going to be yours, but because you sinned, you didn't get it. Now he's going to bring it all back. You're going to have the former and the latter reign. Your vats will overflow with new wine and oil, and you will never be hungry again because you've returned to me, the fountain of living water. There is nothing like him. Who is a God who does not just forgive, but he holds on to the blessings and everything he has for you to give it back to you, to show you he is a God who loves you and me. Just to close, I just want to share this little short story. Um, I don't know if any of you heard of him. It was back in the 1920s. His name was Eric Little. He was a famous runner, an Olympian in the 1924 Olympics in France. And his family was um, missionaries in China. And his sister was uh, kind of upset with him that he was not going there because he was involved with this running and doing the Olympics. And uh, it gets to this point where she's upset with him. And he says, Jenny, come up to the hill. And he brings her up on this hill. And he says to her, Jenny, I want to tell you that I'm, I've decided to go to China. 
because they have accepted my application. And she jumps for joy and says, oh my goodness, I'm so glad you're going to be with mom and dad in and, and China. And she, she's overwhelmed. But he says, but I have some running I need to do. And she was dejected. But he says, Jenny, you need to understand. I believe that God has made me for a purpose in China. He says, but he has also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. Excuse me. You see, when we function in the body of Christ, and we function in what God has given us as a gift, I feel his pleasure. You will feel his pleasure. When you function as a singer, playing a guitar, serving other people, you feel his pleasure. He stands in heaven and looks and says, that is what I want. That's the body of Christ. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for opening up our ears today and our hearts, Lord, to you and your word. I thank you, Lord. I pray, Lord Jesus, that these sins, these darlings that stand in the way, that we would take, get rid of them and eradicate them definitely for good. And we look to you, Lord. And Lord Jesus, we pray today that you become our darling. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Music